You're listening to Heart Food Podcast, Episode 7 with Danielle Delavalli. Welcome to Heart Food Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Pardo, nutritional therapy practitioner and private chef. This is a show that tells you the truth about food, nutrition, your body, your body image, and your mind, all with a hefty dose of real talk. This show is meant to inspire you and make you feel more confident and comfortable in your own skin. Hey everyone, thanks again so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Heart Food Podcast. It's a really great episode today with a really amazing guest. Before I introduce her and talk about her, let's talk a little bit about Thanksgiving. How was it? Did you guys have a good time? I really had a great time and I talked about on last week's episode how it's really my favorite holiday, mostly because of the food, a lot of it because like that whole day just has a really awesome grateful energy. There's just something about it that makes me really love it. I hope you ate everything you wanted to eat, to eat, to eat. I hope that you were gentle with yourself. I hope that you allowed everything and made just really deliberate, empowered choices. Uh, every year, my aunt hosts uh, her Thanksgiving in Jupiter, Florida, which is about two hours north of where I live in Miami. Pretty much my whole family goes, and it was extra special for me this year because last year, for one of the only times I spent Thanksgiving without my family, I was with my boyfriend, which was great, but I was really happy to be back with my family again this year and definitely loaded my plate up with all my favorite stuff that I talked about, the sweet potatoes, the cranberry sauce, uh, the peas and everything. I have been incorporating, not often, but um, every, maybe every month or every several weeks, just a little bit of dairy. It's just, I just freaking love cheese. And I used to like really not, I used to be like really strict about not eating it because it made me feel like crap. But this is just a testament to like gut healing and the fact that you can heal your stomach because a long time ago I couldn't eat like a lot of stuff and slowly I'm reintroducing more things. Like I definitely don't eat it every day, but it's just become one of those things where when I feel like it and I'm around people that I love and I really want to have something delicious, I'm much more gentle with myself and I don't have to suffer for it. Even a year ago, I would eat dairy and feel kind of shitty for like a week now it's like maybe one day and it's not even that noticeable. So it is worth it to do some gut healing on yourself and to uh, just be patient and know that, you know, that you can heal your stomach and you can feel better. And I'm definitely, we just like got started talking about digestion already here. I'm definitely going to do an episode about digestion and gut healing. It's so important Let me know if you guys have dealt with this type of stuff before, because I know so many people do, and I know a lot of people don't even realize that they do it or that they have these problems. Uh, So anyway, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Let me just remind you that the show notes for this episode and all the episodes can be found on my website at ashleypardo.com. You can find me on Instagram at ashleykpardo. If you have a question for the podcast, 
you can submit them to heartfoodpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to sign up for my weekly newsletter, which I send out every Thursday, you can do it on my website at ashleypardo.com. You just scroll down a little bit. You can see a spot where you can sign up where it says uh, sign me up for updates and you can receive my newsletter where I just kind of tell you guys what's going on. I share some personal information and stuff uh, and writings that I don't really share anywhere else. So be sure to sign up for it if you want to. And lastly, it would be amazing if you guys could subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review on iTunes. It's really the only way that this podcast can gain the exposure that I want it to. I have big dreams for this podcast and I really would love it if you could write a review. I've already gotten a lot of amazing feedback. I know it's kind of annoying, it, but it just takes like a couple seconds to do it. You do it in your phone. You ha- Even if you're subscribed to the podcast already, you have to go into the podcast app. You have to search for Heart Food Podcast, all three words, and then you can leave a review. You can't do it already like in like where you click on it if you're subscribed. You have to like completely go out of it and go back in again. So anyway, that's all the housekeeping stuff. And I'm so excited for this episode. I knew that I wanted to have this person, Danielle Della Valle, on the podcast when I met her about a year and a half ago at the Nutritional Therapy Association conference. Many of you know that I am a nutritional therapy practitioner. I also say it at the beginning of the show. And it's really one of the things, one of the best things I've ever done for myself is to take the plunge and decide to become a nutritional therapy practitioner through this association. It's so incredible. The learnings, the teachers, the people, the tribe. If you're into nutrition and you feel alone sometimes, which I know I definitely did before I started meeting these people that were kind of the same as me and had the same sort of philosophy as I do, um, definitely check out the Nutritional Therapy Association. It's a very warm, just there's just good feelings when you go to the NTA and you're surrounded by the people there. But anyway, I was at the conference last, they have a yearly conference that's coming up this March. It's in every, it's every March pretty much in Vancouver, Washington, which is right outside of Portland, Oregon. And I had heard about coming, you know, as I was approaching the conference last year, I'd heard about Danielle and the fact that she wrote a book called Happy Weight, which is unlocking body confidence through body positive nutrition. And people were raving about her. And I was like, who is this girl? She seems so interesting. And it seems like we have a lot of stuff in common the same type of background and just the message that we're trying to put out in the world, which is rare. Not a lot of people are doing this. You know, not a lot lot of people have the same perspective that we do. So when I was at the conference, I made sure to find her because I knew she'd have a booth um, where she was selling her book, Happy Weight. So I found her and just immediately when I met her, I just felt such a good vibe, good energy, like such a good feeling. She was so sweet. And I bought her book and I talked to her a couple times at the conference and we followed each other, kept in touch. I finished her book. I let her know I loved it and we've become friends. And I was actually on her podcast 
in May, which we talk about in the episode. She has a podcast called The Happy Body Podcast, and she's just awesome, and she has so much information to share. She's really real and authentic and just a raw person, which I can always appreciate, and the more we talk, the more we realize that we have a bunch of stuff in common, and you'll hear it in the episode. In the episode, towards the end, you can also hear where you can find Danielle, through her website and her book and on social media. So hope you guys enjoy the episode. Let me know what you think and hope you have a great day or night. Just get into the episode. Bye guys. Danielle Della Valle is a certified nutritional therapy practitioner, author, and motivational speaker. Having worked in the food, beverage, retail, and service industries for the past 18 years, Danielle has had an invaluable experience that greatly contributes to her now profession as an NTP and body positive coach. After Danielle transitioned into nutrition, she dove headfirst, worked in a keto clinic as the principal nutritionist, opened a private practice, wrote a book, started a podcast, and now is about to embark on the conference circuit as a motivational speaker. Her love to heal and be of service to others is clear when you meet her. Her heart knows no bounds. Danielle's hope is that she can work hard to help every woman feel validated and supported through every aspect of their life. Thank you so much for being here, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me on, Ashley. I really appreciate it. Of course, and I can attest to what you say here is that it's clear when you meet, you know, when you meet you that you have service to others because I felt that immediately. Like, I just felt like I was like the only person you were talking to. So it almost makes me emotional (laughs) to hear this because I'm like, I'm so happy that, you know, so many people are doing what we want to do and put the message out there. So why don't we begin by telling us how and why you kind of got to where you are in your life right now and professionally um, and even just as, you know, a self-evolution. I think that... You know, honestly, I feel sometimes I'm just guided this way. Um, my, my husband and I have this conversation a lot because there's really no method to my madness. Um, <laughs> I'm a little bit of a dichotomy, I guess you could say. You know, I grew up in Southern California. Um, that's much like where you're living now. We've had this conversation before. It's very vapid, very materialistic, mm-hmm. lots of, you know, plastic surgery and, you know, just trying to do everything they can to stay relevant in in the form of beauty, you know, that's, that's very brainwashed and um, very mainstream. And so being able to break free out of that and then kind of go on my own journey, you know, I started in food and food was, I mean, food is easy. And service to others is easy too. You know, it's one mm-hmm. of those things where it's it's this mutual thing. We all have to have it. We all love to do it together. You know, so um, my life working in the food industry was was always you know really beautiful. But then I felt like something was missing because I cared about ingredients and I cared about reading labels and you know, and it seemed like other people. It's not that they didn't care. It was getting lost. And so I didn't really know what path to take. And then a, a family friend was like, oh, well, you, you should just become a nutritionist. I had never even thought that that was an option. I don't know why. Um, and it just even, I mean, after I went to school, I was like, oh, well, this, this is a no-brainer. I mean, I worked in food, now nutrition. Um, and then my first job out of nutrition school was working in a ketogenic weight loss center. 
So I would see, you know, on a busy day, I would be seeing 20 women a day. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a a lot. lot. (laughs) It was really overwhelming. After two years, I had some pretty serious adrenal burnout. So, um, I had to, you know, go into private practice, but when I was working in weight loss, it was definitely, you know, it, it gave me that really finite view and scope into what the modern American woman struggles with, you mm-hmm. know, what she deals with. I didn't, you know, it, we always see ourselves, we always live in our own little universes. You know, sometimes we forget that everything is connected, that we're all connected, that we all feel a lot of the same feelings. But I, I felt, you know, like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that some of the pain that I feel in terms of body image and food is a lot of the pain that other women feel too. So when I went into private practice, it was more about changing that narrative and trying to help women to understand that it's more than just this image. It's more about the healing process and loving yourself. And then, so that's kind of how my book came about. Um, that's how happy weight started was kind of like trying to teach women that, you know, let's, let's break open the outside. Let's focus on the inside and, and see what we can kind of accomplish. So that's kind of where I'm at now. So when you worked in that center, that was the first time that you had really been exposed to that type of, you know, to realize that all women kind of shared this same way of thinking around weight loss and everything. And you kind of realized that there was a lot more involved. Yeah, absolutely. Because where I grew up, it was normal to body yes. shame each other. Oh, it was yeah. normal, you know, I mean, it was like, are and you probably, eat that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and probably to praise each other too. When, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, oh my God, you look so skinny. That's so great. Or, you know, oh, you look so fat. Are you trying hard enough? You know, yeah. it was just these really grotesque conversations oh that were allowed. Yeah. Oh, and it's, it's, it, if you don't participate in them, you're weird. Yeah, exactly. And obviously you and I connect with that a lot because coming from these two different cities, but it's crazy. They're very similar though. Orange County and Miami are very similar in that aspect. With the values placed on the external and everything. Yeah, it's, it's very disheartening to hear about that, but it's amazing that, you know, that I think that you can lose weight for a period of time, but until you deal with what you're talking about, you don't, it's not really ever sustainable. And it, I feel like if you clear up the internal things, like you say in your book, your body just kind of gets to where it needs to be instead Mm -hmm. of focusing on the external. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's about waking up in the morning and loving what you see in the mirror instead of just picking apart every little thing that you see, you know? Is that something that you dealt with personally as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember even being in high school, I was, I was very, um, petite, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and really active. And I think my, my, you know, I was, I was, I was, it was pretty wafy, I guess you could say. Okay. And that was just my body naturally at the time. And I remember my dad joking, calling me thunder thighs. Oh my you God. Know? Yeah. Trauma. Yeah. And I don't even think I had thighs, you know? Yes. And so I was very kind of sticky and, um, but just remembering these jokes, not, they weren't jokes to me. You know, I, I definitely felt the shame, even though it was a joke. He was probably saying that that was, you know, that was the opposite case, but 
you know, I just, I have a lot of distinct memories of people pointing out parts of my body and, and, you know, shaming me for different things, but that's just, that was just a part of the conversation. And so I remember, you know, being in my early twenties and, and seeking, um, validation in like male relationships and partnerships just to try and kind of fuel the issues that I had with my body. And, um, you know, it was, I, a lot of promiscuity definitely in my 20s trying to like mm-hmm. search for this holy grail of identity and feeling yes. beautiful in some way and like using sex as a way to try and feel beautiful. Um, but then realizing that it just still leaves you kind of empty and invalidated and then, you know, kind of hitting a dead end. So, and I'm sure other people use other things, you know, other oh, people yeah. use food or drugs or other addictions, gambling, that type of stuff to try and and find this kind of hole that was created. And it really all comes back to how you feel about yourself, you know? And so, um, it's been a lot of work of course, but I, I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm in a position right now where I'm just like, I wake up in the morning and I love the way I look, even though I'm 20 pounds heavier than I used to be. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you can feel when like you meet you, when you, when I'm, when people meet you in person, I think you can feel that you emanate that sort of thing. And I also think that that void that you're talking about is something that as humans, all of us have. Mm-hmm. And we judge ourselves for having that void and for feeling it. And it isn't until we do this work, which is hard. You know, it's mm-hmm. much easier to do the other stuff and to kind of numb and escape and everything. But until you really take the deep dive, it's impossible, I think to fill that void with what is meant to be filled with and that's self-love and self-care and all of that now something I really love about you is that you have this you're very sweet but you also have this like wildness and this rawness (laughs) I love it and I feel like I have that in me too but it's hard for me to express it um I the way I think of it is like mine like drips out You know what I mean? Like just like little (laughs) tiny pieces of wildness, but I feel like I have it in me and you are so open and free. And I just want to talk about like, have you always been that way? And um, what has it taken for you to get to that place where you can just be open and free and raw in sharing everything? That's a really good question. Thank you for the compliment. Of course. (laughs) Um, Honestly, I really have to attribute it to the year abroad that I did um, my junior year of high school. It was it was a tough year. I think that if anyone ever leaves home that early at 15, it's mm. like it's very jarring and traumatic experience. Yes. Um, and so even though I was living with another family, it's still like a whole new country, a whole new family, a whole new, you know, all these new customs, new language, everything. And um, my host mother was uh, just like a true Viking woman. She just was kind of like no bullshit and really pushed me and pushed my boundaries and kind of was just like, hey, there's something inside of you and you don't really, you know, stand your ground and you aren't really, you know, kind of like in your truth. And so it basically took the whole course of the year. But then by the end of the year, I was feeling a little bit more freer in myself. And um, and that was kind of like the start of a journey into where I'm at now, but it, it, it's a path. That's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is mm-hmm. like, you can't just wake up and kind of like be authentically yourself. It, no. it, it does take the work. You have to put the work in. And so 
um, in my mid twenties, I still, you know, I had felt like I was being expressive, but I wasn't being authentically expressive. I felt like I was only being expressive when I felt uninhibited, you know, and Mm -hmm. I wanted to get to a place where I could just be 100% comfortably myself, you know, um, whether there was judgment or not, I wanted to be in a place where I didn't care about what other people thought. And, Then I, so I had to move again. I had to leave California finally, like literally shut that chapter. And And how old were you? How old were you when you left California? I was 26 when I left. And that's, that's when the process of change started. I'm 33 now. So this is now seven years ago. And, um, it was, it was, it was another jarring and traumatic experience, but, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. You know, it's, I am literally, I am not phased by, you know, if a relationship chooses to leave my life or if I, you know, choose to try new things or change jobs or anything. I don't, I try not to live with fear in my heart anymore because it's so, um, it's so damning, you know, it just mm-hmm. imprisons us and all of us. And so I just really like, it was my goal to just try and really get into this unapologetic kind of authentic state of being. And I'm really happy to be there now mm-hmm. because it's a scary place when you're like, ah, I have this like spiciness inside of me. I can't feel, I feel like I can't express it, but yes. because you're afraid of, of, of losing people or change, you know, exactly. And, and there's no fault in that because all of us are, but um, it does it does take time to get there. Yeah, and like you said, it isn't a light switch when you change. No. You know, no. <laughs> we all want that, and I feel like in our society, that's what's marketed. Like, hey, do this thing, and you're just going to change. Like, read this book, or go to this retreat, or you know. But it's a process, you know. Those and are stepping stones, but yes. they're not the answer. No, they're not the answer. It's having shit happen to you over and over and over. And then I think rising above it. And, exactly. and what's interesting, too, is that I think that, you know, people might see people like us who have realized and become aware of these things and really implemented these practices into our lives and think that we've always been this way. And what's interesting is that I think that you need to, in order to get here, you have to have like really not liked how you felt before and realized that you could bring yourself out of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that I'm always really grateful for struggle and it sounds like you are too because you come out of it just a completely different person and then it just happens again and again, you know? Well, struggle is opportunity. Exactly. And, you know, anything that that negative that happens to you is honestly like breeding ground for something beautiful. I mean, yes. what what helps your garden grow? Manure, right? Yeah, oh, my so, gosh. What a good analogy. So true. <laughs> it's so true. And I think it's about embracing the discomfort and learning how to be comfortable there. And I think it's really interesting, too, how you said that leaving home was the catalyst for you to make these changes because I'm a huge fan of Joseph Campbell Mm. and he talks about that like the hero's journey and he talks about that being like the first step is the person or the hero leaving their comfort zone their home of origin and embarking in these new places and that's really the foundation for like this new life. And well, because you, you don't know who you are really no. unless you leave. Exactly. 
and I've experienced that too, leaving. I'm back in Miami now, but, um, you know, I left for college and I left for grad school and it, I was scared shitless when that happened, <laughs> but, and it was really hard. Um, and I lived abroad too, but then you come back and you're like, wow, it's like that small change, you know, over and over. And I think that it provides a lot of, um, you know, kind of a breeding ground for authenticity. And I think, you know, obviously, you're a very authentic person, you can feel that about you. And in your book, you talk about um, you have a chapter that covers authenticity. And you have a quote that I loved, it says, being fake is the ugliest form of being human. (laughs) And it's and I feel that too. So I kind of want to talk about um, you kind of touched on it before. But when we go on these journeys that we're on, we lose people sometimes. And that's Mm -hmm. happened to me. And it's been very hard. And I think it's true that what you said, that wildness that I have inside of me isn't fully come out yet, because I'm still kind of worrying about that stuff a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that if we are on the path to be our most authentic self, we will lose those people that feel like part of us because they're potentially toxic. So and that has to do with boundaries too, kind of telling people what you need in order to have a relationship with them or saying no. So how have you cultivated through your authenticity, the ability to be strong within, you know, being selective about who you surround yourself with the relationships that you have the energy that you take in? And, um, and yeah, the boundaries that you set with people. I would have to say that it's always going to be a dance Mm -hmm. because people will come into your life. And even though I like to think I'm really good at reading people, people sometimes don't present themselves until years into your relationship or friendship with them. And, um, which means that they're never truly authentically being themselves or they're changing as well. Mm -hmm. And there is a really long quote, but I'm just going to shorten it. Um, I've had two friends, you know, mention this to me in the past and there's a time, a reason and a season. Mm. And when we recognize that, then we, we can honor the relationship no matter how quickly it came into our life or how quickly it left or how tragically it left or, you know, however ambiguously it left. Um, there, you just have to really honor the fact that that person was in your life or you were in their life for a reason and a time. And they're a part of your story and you're a part of theirs. And that that's one thing that you can never change, you know. But the thing is, is that it's never going to be comfortable to remove someone from your life if they meant something to you. Mm-hmm. If someone leaves your life when they meant something to you and, and if you were like, oh, it was no big deal, then you're not actually, you're not being honest with yourself and you're not honoring that relationship. But the truth of it is, is that setting boundaries, um, it used to be uh, awful for me. I used to let everybody dump their emotional stuff all over me. I used to let people call me just to be their cheap therapy for a second and it would completely ruin my day. Um, I would let people, you know, 
ask me to do things that I would bend over backwards for them and always be the people pleaser. I would never say no to anything. And it it just got to the point where it was just, it was killing me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I started to actually physiologically suffer. I could see my health suffering. I could see my emotional state suffering and enough was enough at that point. So now I, I mean, even down to the way I travel is different. The way, how much time I spend with people, um, is sometimes shortened because I know their tendencies. Um, I, you know, it even comes down to people I work with. Sometimes if they want to hang out, I'll say, oh, that's nice. And I'll just move on to another conversation. You know, it's just, you really have to set these fine lines, fine boundaries, because if you don't, that just sets a whole precedent for people to come in and completely take over your life. Because the, the truth of the matter is, if you are a empathic person, if you are a kind soul, if you are someone that likes to give, there are wolves out there that will try and destroy you and take that away from you. And so you just have to know when to put that bar up and say, I'm over it and, and just deal with the fact that it's going to be painful. And Mm -hmm. if sometimes you end a relationship and sometimes those people come back to you. Yeah. So it's just having to have that kind of fearless living, I guess, which can be really uncomfortable. It can be really, really uncomfortable. And like you said, these are difficult things to do. You know, because Mm -hmm. I think that you get to a breaking point where you're like, okay, I'm done being everything to everybody and I just need to do things for myself. And I think people don't realize that sometimes saying no or saying, hey, you know, I need to go to bed early tonight because if I don't sleep, tomorrow's not going to be a good day. Or it even comes down to like, hey, I, I don't eat that thing right now. Or, you know, any sort of boundary that you create with people, it's hard to do it, but I think always worth it. Always, always worth it. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> and something I know you're a very sensitive person. Yeah. And I'm super sensitive too. And I've been that way like since I can remember. Oh, you know, sensitive in my body, sensitive in my emotions, in picking up energy from people. And for a long time I was told, You're too sensitive, it's too much. Um, you know, even from like relationships I had with past boyfriends or friends or, you know, and people would tell me like, hey, you got to tone it down, you know, chill out, you're too sensitive. And through time, I realized that that sensitivity is a gift. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have it any other way, even though I have to kind of create those boundaries in my life in order to protect that sensitivity. So since you're the same way, in what ways has your sensitivity been a gift to you? Well, gosh, I guess kind of um, backtracking a little bit because I had the same exact experience of people telling me that I was too sensitive and it always made me feel like I wasn't allowed to be emotional and it almost made me shut my gifts off for a really long time because I thought that there was something wrong with me. But then I grew up and I realized that Um, when people say something like that, it's a projection of their lack of vulnerability and their Mm -hmm. lack of of self-confidence in their own emotions. Um, Because I've had the beautiful experience of meeting people who are really confident in their emotions. And so they're actually able to create a safe space for a sensitive person. So I would recommend if anyone is listening that is um, an HSP, a highly sensitive person, to like reach out to other HSPs or other empaths and try and connect with them because then you feel like you're actually a normal person. But I I guess my gifts, like, 
they've been able to just help me truly connect with people. I, I can see I can see the inside of someone and I can create a really safe space for people to feel completely loved. And I think that that is the most beautiful thing I've been able to experience in life. It makes me a little emotional saying that, but it's, it's true. just, it's true. It's, it's a really amazing feeling when someone can just like relax for the first time in their life and actually share a story with you that they may have never shared with somebody before. And I am so grateful to be able to experience that. Yes. And going off of that, I think, you know, similar to you, when I was younger, and before I kind of realized that, you know, potential anxiety that came from having too many emotions and like shutting them down, and all of that, that it was difficult for me to connect with people, because nobody was as sensitive as me. And then as I got older, I started meeting meeting other people who were like me and I'm like, whoa, I'm maybe I'm normal. <laughs> and I'm actually <laughs> like, maybe I'm not like nuts, like I thought I used to be. But it is really such a beautiful thing to be able to connect with people in that way and to have that support system. I, I feel like that's what life is about, you know, absolutely. And can you talk about you kind of mentioned this in your book? Can you talk about the importance of having a tribe? and people that support you and like-minded people and where in your life that you found those connections? Yeah, it's very important. I mean, it's one of those things that's pretty vital for long-term change. If you want mm -hmm. your change to be sustainable, you have to have a support system. And that can evolve and change over time as well. Um, but just trying to find like-minded people is is foundational um, for making positive changes in your life. And everyone's tribe can look different. Um, mine kind of started, it started, uh, I guess you could say when I moved to China, um, I started to find some like-minded people and that was my junior year of college. So I was 21 when I, when I moved over there and, um, it kind of, I, it was actually the first time in my pretty much entire life that I had truly felt these types of connections with people. And, um, I'm still friends with those people today. We're still, we literally talk every single day, which is really amazing. That's we incredible. all have matching tattoos too, which oh, is wow. so, but like amazing. crazy. But anyway, it's just about, um, cause I mean, for me, I'm, I like information. So I, I really like highly intellectual people that are very unapologetic. And so whether that's in the holistic realm or in some other academic field, um, I'm always hungry for information and, and I always love um, moments of debate. So mm. when I can have a you know a topic where I can learn something truly new, I love that. So I love meeting people like that. Whether wherever I can find it, uh, holistics kind of came when I went into nutrition school, and then I started to meet like licensed massage practitioners. I started to meet acupuncturists, and uh, I started meeting you know naturopathic physicians, and I started to find more of my tribe because then I realized how much. I nerded out for nutrition science. Uh, and then that kind of was a catalyst for me, like coming full circle and actually feeling like really, really energetically connected to myself and, and I guess who I was always meant to be. But tribes are very, very, very important. We are, we're just 
that's how we're rooted, you know, humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, our species is very tribe and community oriented. And when we have a tribe or a community, we feel a feeling of ultimate security because there's a lot of protection that comes when you have these really strong bonds with people. Yeah, it's almost and primal, you know? It's very primal. Yeah. It's very primal. And you feel protective for these other people as well. These instincts kind of kick in and your genes kind of have these memories that go back, you know, centuries. I mean, thousands of years. And it's just pretty, it's pretty amazing to kind of like open up those, those primal feelings. Uh, I think that's a pretty cool uh, part of being human as well is like finding these connections with these tethered souls and then really opening up to being this person that is, you feel indestructible sometimes when oh you're my with God. those people, you know? You do, totally. And what's funny is that as you become into that person that you are meant to be, you attract similar people to you, which mm-hmm. is so cool to me because I see that as I evolve, and as I kind of shed pieces of who I used to be, new people come into my life as I create space for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the law of attraction is really powerful. It's true. It's totally. If anyone poo-poos it, I don't know. poo-poo it. <laughs> it's totally, I mean, we vibe on the same wavelength. It's totally, and it happens in so many different aspects, you know, not yeah. only yeah. relationships. Um, so kind of shifting over a bit, I think that what we just talked about is super important. And this is kind of like, you know, the second, because anybody can, as nutrition professionals, anybody can kind of tell you what to eat, you know? Yeah. You can go Mm -hmm. to Google, you can get some books. Um, But I think that this work, what we're just talking about, this self-love and self-care and everything is the foundation in which the food kind of works itself out. But nutrition is still really important. Mm -hmm. So... What would be just your quick nutrition philosophy for people out there listening? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) maybe not quick, but just kind of just your nutrition philosophy, what you think um, people, I don't want to say what they should be eating, but kind of what you think about what we should be putting in our bodies. Well, this is, this is the part where. I'm going to be unapologetically authentic and tell you guys the truth because it's, I, I really want people to just eat real food. Yeah. If your, if your food comes out of a package, if you eat out all of the time, if you're buying stuff where you actually don't even know where that food comes from, then that's a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. I don't want to shame anyone. I don't ever want to yes. shame people's food choices because we've all been in different places in our life and you got to honor that and you know give yourself room uh, to do what you got to do. But if you're actually on a path of wellness and you want to feel better, if you're in a place where you're mentally unwell or emotionally unwell or you're physiologically unwell, then eating things that are not cooked in your own home are going to cause you harm. 
And when we started to leave the kitchen and started to, you know, not know what food was or how foods work together is when we start to not only denature the food, of course, but we also denature ourselves. Those primal things I was talking about being primal is, is what we are. We are organic beings. And so making sure that we have organic foods come into our body is the only way we can nourish ourselves. And this is the thing though, is like people know what to do. People know how to eat organic. People know how to eat clean. They know how to cook. You know, they know how to find recipes. It's just that that 90% blockage that's happening is all a psychological thing. People are afraid of change. Mm. They're afraid of looking different. They're afraid of being made fun of or someone looking or asking them about their food. There's so much anxiety, you know, that comes with food. And the thing is, is there is no one size fits all diet. I have found that out even through my own journey Mm -hmm. because what works for me does not work for the person sitting next to me. You know, uh, you and I might have different eating styles. I don't know why my phone is ringing right now. I apologize in the background. Don't worry. worry. I still, I still the house phone people. I live in the country. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so just like really honestly, it's, it's about like breaking through that blockage and going on a truly investigative journey. That's the other thing is people out there. The reason why cookbooks are still some of the number one sold books in the world is because People are always looking to someone else to give them the answer. Oh my God. They're always, you know, looking for that hand to hold. They're always looking for someone to give them permission. And people somewhere have forgotten that they are their own boss, that they give themselves permission, that they're the ones that can go on this journey and figure it out on their own. You know, people are so afraid to make a mistake in the kitchen or try a new food. It's and but there's beauty in that change because I mean, I can make some killer food that doesn't have grains, dairy, or eggs in it. And people are like, this is amazing. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And you're eating something that's actually going to benefit you. You know, not saying that grains, dairy, or eggs are bad for everyone Mm because everybody is different, but just like really trying not to be so afraid of, you know, of food because this is the way it used to be. But this is this is kind of going back to what you said earlier in this conversation about, you know, people look at us and think we've always been this way. Yeah. This is what happens is that our brains are always constantly adapting that we think that what's happening now is the way that it has always been. But if we go back 60 years, it was not like this. No. Raw milk was being delivered to your door. Fresh made bread was being made in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. You know, people were not eating as much processed meats or foods or canned things. They didn't even have access to them. So my nutrition philosophy is eat real food. Yes, I totally agree. (laughs) I'm like, preach back here as you're talking, because I think that, you know, it's I am such a fan of real food, of whole foods, and it does actually have an effect on the way you feel. Like, that's just a truth. And it's very difficult for me to hear other people say, just eat whatever you want and everything because I'm like, you're missing out on... I really believe that if somebody eats well and they eat real food, you untap parts of yourself that you didn't know were there. Like you begin to feel in a way that's amazing and everything. And I think because you and I are really into like, we're not part of the diet culture. No, we're not part of like the meal plans. 
and (laughs) you know all of that whole other culture we've talked about this before you know what I mean we're not part of that and we're also I don't think part of like the other side you know so we have like restriction diets you know one size fits all numbers and everything um and then we have the other side which is like the intuitive eating um eat whatever you want type of crowd. And I'm actually in like, I'm, I always try to try to stay up to date with the information that's out there in all different realms, mm-hmm. even in the diet culture and everything, just so I can stay informed and knowledgeable about these things. And I'm in a, a couple intuitive eating groups on Facebook. And a lot of people are like, you know, I'm eating whatever I want. I'm eating cake for breakfast and I feel like crap. You know, should I go back to eating like my vegetables and people are like, no, no, you just got to listen to your hunger and fullness signals. And, you know, people are eating all of these things that are making them feel like shit. And then they're wondering why they can't stop eating it. They're wondering why they can't listen to their bodies. They're wondering why they can't poop, you know. So how do we find that balance where we can educate people to eat real food but then at the same time, feeling sane and having a good relationship with food at the same time. It's definitely going to be different for everyone, clearly. Mm-hmm. But I, I would like to say that we always want our focus to be how we feel. Yes. And the intuitive eating, I feel like that's really laxed because – True intuitive eating is the way that it was before when we craved, um, you know, like squash in the wintertime because it's a winter vegetable Mm. or, you know, berries in the summertime because they're in season. Like intuitive eating actually used to be intuitive where our body was in tune with nature and we knew what to eat. Now, people don't actually understand what their intuition is because there are physiological symptoms that are controlling their brain. So if you have a candida overgrowth and you're craving sugar, your intuition is to eat sugar. But guess what? It's candida asking for you to feed it because this live yeast inside of you is controlling your neurochemicals, which are saying, feed me sugar. So Mm -hmm. that intuition is going to be detrimental to your health, clearly, because we all live with candida. We need it. It's a part of our microbiome. But when we have it overgrown, you know, in, in reference to the rest of our, of our, you know, other bacteria, then we're going to have issues. We're going to see hormonal dysfunction. We're going to see, you know, brain fog, you know, behavioral disorders. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the thing, when candy is overgrown, we can see so many crazy things happen. So I like to tell people like, you can only be truly an intuitive eater if you're truly in connection with like your physiological tells and cravings and that type of stuff. Um, but really just kind of, and also food freedom can be negligent too. You know, yes. I just went on a food freedom trip, which was a ton of fun, but it took three weeks for my digestion to get back on track, you know? Yeah. So I had a great time and I had healed my gut enough to be able to not feel like the the horrible things that used to happen to me when I ate certain foods. But that was just on my vacation. That's it. Said, done, had it, never going to go back kind of a thing. So when we come down to it, it's really about how you feel when you wake up in the morning. If you feel good, if you feel like you have enough energy to get up without your alarm clock, you don't need coffee. You could actually go, you know, exercise and not feel exhausted or wired afterwards. And then you can go about your day where you have no dips 
and you don't need coffee in the afternoon or snacks, and then you can go home, eat a normal dinner, you feel great, and then you sleep a full night's rest. That's what you want to try and achieve. And the thing is, is that even though I'm a body positive person, nutrition and physiological, like internal health is always going to take precedent. Oh, hell yeah. And that isn't the message that's out there right now, which is very disheartening to me because it's like, I want everybody, of course, to come from a place of self-love and to accept themselves. But I think that when you inform people that they should eat whatever they want, and yeah, it's true. Like if you're not coming from a place where I think you've given yourself the space to not start with an elimination diet, but kind of eat real food for a while and have your body become accustomed to that, then you can be intuitive. Because, but, and I think people need to start with that. And, you know, I've even had clients come to me, my nutrition clients, some of them, and they want to still eat everything that they want and lose weight or, you know, feel better. And I'm like, it's not going to happen that way. So I think that that's a distinction that is really important to make that you saying that you want to wake up and eat sugar all day which, you know, to each his own, but like, if you're complaining about it, and you want to change, then that's not truly intuitive. That's like you said, your cravings, your brain, dopamine, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. That's telling you to eat that because of course, like, if somebody's given the choice, coming from like a processed food diet, are they going to want to eat like an apple and almond butter for breakfast? Are they going to want like, you know, a cinnamon bun? And from a taste perspective, like it's obvious the cinnamon bun is better, you know, (laughs) like for our brain, you know what I mean? Like in terms of like our human primal needs, like sugar is delicious. But I think through time, we do need to put kind of a template in place where like, this is the way I'm going to eat most of the time, you know? And I think it's much easier too to eat like, for example, you can't eat like five apples. Like your body... After like one and a half, I think your body's like, I'm good. But I've definitely eaten like five cookies and then been like, want some more cookies still, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, it's just, so I think that that message is really, really important because people, when they come from diet culture and they come from restriction and they come from, you know, looking outside of themselves for all of the information that they receive, I think that they go in the opposite direction, like I was saying, but I think that they can go gently into a real food diet, which does not have to be restrictive at all. You know, you can still eat your carbs, you can still have fat, like it can still be balanced in a macronutrient way. But I think that that's something about the language that needs to change instead of being so relaxed. Um, you know, so it's not like super military style, but then again, it's not like off the rails. It's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, you don't want to trigger yourself. No, exactly. You know, you don't want to be like, okay, I'm going to drink shakes three times a day and go do CrossFit. Yeah. You're going to kill yourself. Oh that's, my God. that's not and healthy. And then you're going to binge probably. You know? Yeah, of course you're going to binge because your adrenals are going to need that glucose. And so yes. it's going to be like, feed me. And it'll be endless, you know? Exactly, exactly. And... um. So I think that's something that needs to be said and talked about that, you know, if you feel like shit and you're eating intuitively, quote unquote, you can reevaluate and 
you'd be surprised how much your body is capable of telling you what it wants once you are in that place. Mm-hmm. So I think that's super important. I think you and I had also talked about before, like the bo- body positive um, movement and your book is about body positivity and locking it through confidence. Um, and but at the same time, I see kind of the kind of a too relaxed notion there sometimes. And there can even be people like people in the body positive community shaming people for wanting to lose weight or wanting to look a different way. Like I think that you can still love yourself and want to lose weight. If, for example, you've gone through a tough time or you've been on a vacation and like you just don't feel that great, you know. So what are your thoughts about that? About, you know, if people want to, let's say they've had a baby or something and they want to lose some weight. What do you think about, um, you know, people wanting to lose weight to feel better? I think the thing is, is just not judging people at all. Yeah. I mean, there's, yes. there's, it's, it's funny because there's judgment in so many different places, but, and this is, this is where you and I have a hard time because we fall in this kind of like moderate line where we don't, we, we completely lack judgment, but then we talk about the reality of the situation. You know, if you, if you want to be a healthy person, it doesn't matter what size you are. But if you want to be healthy, there are ways to be healthy through eating healthy and exercising and having good mental health practices. Mm. That it's it is is it is this full thing that needs to encompass your life. It's very important. It's daily. You know, it's something that we should all be responsible for. If you want to lose weight, lose weight. That is your choice, and no one should judge you for that. And you should be able to execute that freely without judgment, but you also can't do it from a negative perspective. You know, people use a lot of very triggering tactics in order to lose weight. And that is, that is also not going to be healthy for your body. And it's not going to be healthy for your mind. If it takes you a year to lose weight, whatever that year is going to pass, you're going to forget it. It's going to be years from now and whatever, then you're going to be thankful for that year that you took to lose the weight, Mm -hmm. but just doing it in a way where you're not stressing your body out, where you're making sustainable changes, you know, and the thing is, is that quick weight loss is always going to be you know, calorie starvation. And then, but then you're destroying your thyroid, destroying your adrenals, destroying your sex hormones. You might feel great at the time because you're in an over-exaggerated ketogenic state, but guess what? You don't realize is that you totally destroyed other parts of your body for long-term. So, and it's not sustainable at all. So eating clean, eating balanced, exercising, trying to find what works for you, and then maybe getting back into the body you had before. If that's what you truly want to do, then do it. And no one should have any grounds to judge you for it because it's your life. And that's what it is about living authentic and unapologetic is just saying, screw you to everybody else that's out there and just like live your own life, live your own path and stop trying to let people dictate what you want to do. Yeah. And I think that that's such an important distinction that we shouldn't judge anybody's bodies. You Mm -mm. know, everyone has their own story and whatever they want to do with their bodies is their prerogative and that's it no judgment. And we're all so different. We all have different different. genetics. So we can't compare ourselves to other people and say like, well, I'm the same height as her. 
you know, I should look the same. No, like there's so many factors. Like I said, genetics, evolution of ourselves, like we change through time. So all of those things are, I think, extremely important. I think too, it's true what you said, like you can't put weight loss on a metabolic credit card. That's what Jade Tita says. I'm a huge fan of his. Um, If you decide to go down that path, and you do it quickly and in a rush. That's another big thing too that I realize. Like people are just like, I just want to lose the weight and then like I'll deal with all my stuff. Uh-huh. And I'm like, your stuff is going to be there in full force when you come <laughs> back to it. You know what I mean? And that's like when the binges happen. I really try to, I'm big on like not binging and finding a way to, you know, uh, release that struggle just because I was there for so long and it was because of dieting and restricting that um I binged all the time like up until like I haven't binged in I don't know years I can't even remember what it was like but so many people come to me with that concern and like you said it doesn't matter if it takes a year it you have to I think honor the the path that your body chooses to be on because it's not really up to us what our Mm -hmm. bodies choose to do you know Um, I also think it was really important what you said that we are all bio-individual and we all have different needs. So what works for me might not work for you. And Mm -hmm. when I give my talks and stuff and I tell people that, people don't know how to listen to their bodies and how to realize if a food works for them. I think not only a food, but even like the balance of our plates and our macronutrients like for example if some people feel better when they have more fat in their diet or some people feel better if they have a a higher carbohydrate or protein intake what are some ways you think people can figure out what works for them and maybe you can also tell people or give some strategies and suggestions to kind of respect that process and to let it take how as long as it um should take yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's the fast way to do it. You could go and spend a ton of money on a ton of different tests and you can find out exactly what's going on, but then that'll just make you crazy when yes. you find out all that information <laughs> at like, once. No, I love my lettuce, you know, or whatever <laughs> yeah, it is, you know. Exactly. Um, but it's, it's funny because you have to take an analytical approach to get to a natural um, kind of inclination and that's by journaling. It's the best way you can, it is literally the only way you can become truly connected to yourself because if you write down everything you eat and then how you feel afterwards and then how you felt the next day when you woke up, you're going to start to see what patterns are happening. And then if you want to see if a food is causing an issue, you could take that out for a couple of days and journal and see, oh, do I feel better or do I still feel the same? And then kind of move things around. It's about it's about investigation, experimentation, and trying to actually like get to know your body's processes so that you can become connected to it. Because now I know when my digestion is off and what I ate and what caused it and why, you know, if I didn't drink enough water, or slept well enough, or you know, my body can even tell me this happened on Monday, uh, where my body told me before bed you need to drink magnesium. Mm. Don't ask me why, just do it. And I didn't do it. And I woke up sick the next day. Wow. See? 
And it was from an adrenal like burnout because I had, I had taken on too much that day. I knew I did, but I just wanted to see all my friends, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I woke up sick the next day. And so you'll get to this point where you know your body will tell you whether you want to take that call or not. Exactly. It's <laughs> you like will it's, get to it the knows. place. Yeah, exactly. It knows. My body knew. And it, it was loud in the back of my mind, but I was too lazy to go pour it into a glass. Uh-huh. You know, like we all are, you know, we can, we all have those moments, no judgment, but it, you can get to that point where your body is clear as day is literally going to tell you from the back of your mind, this is what you should be doing, or this is what's happening. And, um, it's, it's just really great to just write all of those things down and it's super easy. And if you need help, there's food journals online. And the thing is, is don't track it forever. Cause then yeah. that can become a trigger for people to just like get to a point where you know what your body likes and what it doesn't like, and then just do it on your own. Because then if you're just like drawn to that piece of paper every day, you're going to be looking for answers that you're not going to find because they're going to be emotional ones. Yes, totally. And I think it's important to let it be what it is, you know, because Mm -hmm. we might fight it, but like the body's like ancient, like the fact that digestion works, you know what I mean? Is like the body's pretty smart, you know, Mm -hmm. so it, so it knows kind of what feels good and what doesn't. And it's important to note too that it just takes time and patience and acceptance to get to that place. But it's like a temporary period where you're paying attention a lot, you know what I mean? By journaling and paying attention. And then you have, you can take that to the rest of your life because then you get in touch with what it feels like. Like, oh, I ate that and then I didn't poop this morning. So maybe I should reconsider. Exactly. You know? And we kind of talked about food freedom earlier. And I think that that's kind of the, I don't want to say the end point because there's never an end point, but I think that that's a really amazing place to be is to feel free around food when for so long we potentially have felt, you know, trapped and restricted and, you know, tight and stringent around food, but to feel free around food is such a liberating feeling, especially if we've struggled with it in the past. So can you kind of talk about your recent food freedom um, moments and what that philosophy means to you? I think that this is the thing is like when I went on my healing journey, uh, it started about seven years ago. I cut gluten out six years ago and it, it was a complete transformation. I mean, I was in a really dark place. I had severe anxiety, suicidal depression, paranoia. There was a lot happening in my life um, and in my body. And so it was just like, it was pretty hardcore. You know, I did an elimination diet. I did gaps like, you know, lots of bone broth, lots of healing, you know, supplements, adrenal adaptogens. I did it all, everything. I hit it from all sides because I've always been really um, anti-drugs. So I didn't want to take anything. And so I was able to heal myself. I was able to completely heal myself. I'm in an amazing place. I mean, I just literally flew for 19 hours and had no anxiety on my way back. And it was just, it was an amazing feeling to, to be in that space. And so I gave myself a gift that, um, cause I just went to Bali and Hong Kong for two and a half weeks. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be in Hong Kong and not eat dim sum. And I'm not going to be in Bali and not eat shrimp chips. 
and those have gluten in them. And so my husband was really sweet and he got me the extra strength, like glutenese, the, you know, the digestive enzymes. Uh-huh. And he was like, okay, he's like, so that you have peace of mind, you can just take a couple of these before we eat something. And I didn't have the same effects that I used to have where I would be, you know, doubling over in pain with my stomach bloated or have a massive migraine or feel super depressed. Like my emotions were chill the whole time. I didn't have any bloating. Everything was super great. So yes, it took me six years to get there, but I was able to just like relax and have a good time and feel connected. And I didn't have to worry about all of these like little anxieties that go with food sensitivities. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to become a weekender like some people do where they allow themselves to eat these things because they have these digestive enzymes. It doesn't work that way. Uh, so, but allowing yourself to get to a point where you can go on vacation, maybe like, say if you've always had a dream to go to Paris, what are you going to eat? You're going to eat croissants and baguette and Mm -hmm. maybe you're dairy free and there's cheese and then, you know, the wine and all of these things to be able to kind of get your body into a place where you can go enjoy those things. There's something on an emotional level that it just, it alters And I can tell you, I went to a woman's retreat this summer where all the meals were prepared for me. I haven't felt that relaxed in I can't remember how long. And so sometimes if you feel overwhelmed by the food choices or the food anxiety or everything that kind of comes with these changes, then shift it. You know, get a food delivery service or ask your significant other to cook for you for a little bit or, Mm -hmm. you know... Go over to your mom's house and say, hey, can you just make these meals for me for a couple of days? You know, there are people in your life that love you. There's somebody that's going to help you out. And so just really try and do that because the feeling that comes from food freedom, whether you can experience it or not, um, you know, if you, if you can't go fully on with the food sensitivity foods, fine. Just let somebody else cook for you for a little bit. And But if you can kind of like, you know, skirt out a little bit like I did – do it because it just, I don't even know. Like it was, it was life altering for me. I was able to focus less on the food anxiety and everything else around me. And I was able to focus more on my relationship with my husband, which is so important to me. Mm -hmm. And we just came back stronger than ever. And, you know, we've been together seven years and it was just like, after seven years, we came back like we were newlyweds. It was incredible, you know? And so, There are moments we're missing out on sometimes if we're so obsessed with our food choices. And so food freedom, whether it's on your plan or not, uh, just sometimes give yourself a break because you deserve it. (laughs) Yes. And I think too, like like if you eat something and then you stress about it, I feel like the stress itself can create the issues that you thought the food would have created. I mean, obviously, 100%. I've obvious, seen that happen. Yes. And obviously, there are legitimate sensitivities that people have where like they really can't eat something. But if you don't have like an allergy, or something, sometimes you might have a little bit of room for it. And especially if you relax, like our teacher, Kathy, um, she calls that vitamin P. where She's <laughs> like, you know, where you have that, that extra little vitamin of fun of being in the moment I mean there's nothing like eating some good stuff with people you love and just like not being worried about it that is part of the soul feeling that you need as you cultivate this relationship with yourself that 
is rooted in food and movement. And I think also you kind of mentioned it before, mental health, which Mm -hmm. I've also suffered from anxiety for a long time. So what does that mean to you um, in order to stay mentally healthy? And is it to you as important as food, as exercise, and all of the other healthy things that we do? Well, I'm coming to find that sometimes mental health is is like is way further up there. Yes. Sometimes for some people. I mean, this is this is the hard question that I'm having right now. It's the chicken before the egg kind of conversation. Yeah. Is it the mental well-being that brings our gut wellness or is it the gut wellness that brings us our mental well-being or yes. you know, do they need to go hand in hand? It's really, it's kind of a hard question that I'm still trying to. It is uh, hard. Yeah, I'm trying to find that out myself. Uh, but it's it's really, I mean, mental health is huge, 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 huge. And feeling connection is huge. And that's why in Happy Weight, I have, you know, I talk a lot about vulnerability and finding your tribe and connecting with yourself and, you know, trying to find authenticity. And those are all psychological factors. And the nutrition chapter, there's only one. So it's really about like what other aspects of your life are affecting your health because toxic relationships could actually be the cause of a lot of your health issues or where you're living or, you know, the job that you have, the relationship that you could be in, your romantic one. You know, there's there's a lot of different factors that people aren't thinking about where their mental health is concerned. So as a person who suffered from, you know, I never really talked about it. So a lot of people didn't even know I had anxiety, which is even scarier. Yeah. Because uh, I was the type of person that smiled through depression and anxiety and paranoia. Which is very uh, common. Too, it is common. You know? And it's dangerous. It is. And when people aren't vulnerable, that's how really scary things happen. And people can hurt themselves. I was lucky that I didn't because I was really, really conscious about my healing journey. But some people are not that lucky. And so it's just, it's really, really, really important to talk about our feelings, address them, and make mental health a really important part of your healing journey. Totally. And just have a couple more questions. But this one is one that I think everybody goes through and it has to do with what we were just talking about is that voice that we all have Mm. that inner critic and i used to think because like i told you big sufferer of anxiety before i definitely still get anxious sometimes but i've healed so much in the last several years that it's nowhere near it used to be where it used to be but i used to literally think that i was the only person that had that like mean voice and Mm. i was And I used to think like, oh, my God, everybody's just like out there living their lives. And I have this like mean person inside of me. So do you still does that voice still come up for you? And do you think that that's just part of our humanity? I I look at it now as a trigger. I I, it's like it's telling me something is off. Yeah. If I find myself agitated in a moment, I know that I'm I'm uncomfortable. Something's happening. I'm worried about something. And so I can look at it and address it in a different way. It used to completely like dictate everything I did and would like turn into visceral reactions to certain mm-hmm. things. And so, you know, and the hard part is is that feeling alone, it that that is 
Uh, that's the problem is people yes. don't talk about their feelings. People aren't like people will, you know, get into arguments or say weird shit because they sorry, I cursed. I don't know. Oh, curse, no, but... <laughs> we're putting an E. This is a, oh, an okay. E podcast. <laughs> okay. But people will just like say really mean stuff to you and you'll think like, oh, my gosh, something's wrong with me. And it's no, it's because they're not dealing with their problems and they're not actually like saying, hey, I'm really vulnerable right now because I'm dealing with A, B and C. You know, I even recently had to end a friendship this summer because someone actually came at me sideways about something that didn't make any sense at all. And I was like, okay, well, when you're ready to talk about what's really going on, please let me know because I just don't really have time for this. And boundaries, my boundaries yes. are a lot stronger now. Yes. <laughs> and um, and then it came out. She was having issues in her marriage and she was having issues with her body image and she was having issues with something that was going on in her family. And it was all about her, but she wanted to make it all about me. And that's what people do is they really just kind of like will come at you because they don't deal with their own stuff. So it's just, it's, it's really important to be vulnerable and share your feelings and like quiet that internal negativity because it's it's trying to tell you something. So don't quiet it and say, shoo, go away, because it'll yeah. go somewhere deeper and it will present itself in a not pretty way. But just quiet it by saying, okay, okay, Ashley, or okay, Danielle, how are you feeling right now? What's going on? What's making you feel this way? Do you need to talk to somebody about it? Do you need to talk about the person you might feeling th be feeling this way about? You know, be more proactive so that this kind of like monster inside of you that wants to make you a crazy person mm -hmm. will actually be more constructive. Yes. So. And I think that's all I agree completely with all of that. And I even wrote a post on Instagram yesterday about feelings. And I was like, I'm pretty Ooh. sure that unmet feelings are the root cause of like all problems in the world. <laughs> you they know? are. Because that's why people get angry. And that's why people project. And that's why people do really crazy things and say weird shit to people. It's like, it's also really important to note that like, that's why we can't take shit personally when people do things to us because it's never about us. And that's something I learned several years ago that really changed how I felt around other people because I'm like whatever they're saying is just about them and they can't mm -hmm. deal and it's like that example you gave about your friend is so telling because people don't want to look inside like what we were saying at the beginning that you need to look inside and you need to look at bring all your shit out and heal because then mm -hmm. you can do you know, you can do what you're meant to do in this world. You can get in touch with yourself. And like you're saying, like the chicken or the egg with the mental health, that's something I'm, you know, I think they both go hand in hand, the physical and the mental. Um, just because like we were saying, if you're not eating well and you don't feel well, then your mental state might be potentially a little bit further down. Um, but totally agree with everything that... Um, you said something that you also talk about in your book is and that you talk about in general, like on social media is developing that confidence and that self-esteem, which mm. I think a lot of people might not realize how important it is. Um, and what are some and a lot of people struggle with that, too. So what are some ways you think that people can begin to develop that confidence, that self-esteem, that self-love? I, I think that it's, it's more than just one thing. 
Mm-hmm. You know, to, to find that self-love, you have to find yourself. Yes. Uh, and you have to love yourself through the process because we're, we may not actually end up being the person that we thought we were going to be. Yeah. And that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't sure who I was going to be. And then when I finally got to that place, I'm like, all right, cool. I, I like this person, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's it's about just like, yeah, finding that that true place of comfort and, and loving yourself and then finding the group of people that are going to support you through it. But the thing is, is that confidence can... Sometimes people think they're confident, but if you're confident and abrasive, there's insecurity still there. Totally. And when I see people who think they're confident, but they're being abrasive, I know that there's something there. Either I make them uncomfortable or the situation makes them uncomfortable, but something they're still kind of not really hitting the nail on the head. True confidence is a person that is 100% in their own and they can greet you with kindness. And that's a truly confident person when you can, when you can greet another person new or challenging, or, you know, you, maybe you're intimidated by and greet them with kindness. That's true confidence because that it means that you're so comfortable in yourself that you're, you're just accepting the moment. You're like, you know what, if they don't like me, that's okay. And I'm just going to be happy and I'm going to love them and I'm going to kill them with kindness and I'm just going to make the best of this moment. Mm-hmm. And that that to me, that's that's true confidence right there. And in order to get there, sometimes it's a journey for people that's a lot longer than others, but it, it's it's really worth it once you do get there. So really just like making it a point to come into your own and, and do the things that you want to do. People are so stuck in doing everything everybody else wants to do. They're so afraid to choose a restaurant or to choose an activity or to, you know, make plans to go do something. People, I mean, I see it, you know, everywhere all of the time. And I am not afraid to choose those things because I know then I'm going to eat food I want to eat or I'm going to hang out with people I want to hang out with. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's about not being afraid about other people's feelings or choices because at the end of the day, everybody's going to have a good time. And yeah. if they're not, it's because they've got their own personal stuff going on. So. Exactly. And I think it's important to, to develop that trust within yourself mm-hmm. to say, like, I'm feeling this. I trust it. Even if my mind's kind of like, what are they going to think? Or is everybody going to like this? To trust over time, you know, to develop, to develop that sense of self-trust over time so that you can be okay with your choices and then to ultimately be this confident person that has this blossoming self-esteem. Absolutely. And Brene Brown, I mean, for oh those of God, you yes. who don't know Brene Brown, her work is unbelievable and life-changing and she teaches you about vulnerability and how to live in your authenticity and so yeah i would recommend reading all of her books if you feel like you need a jumping off point so. and that's so funny because that was actually my next question was oh. <laughs> uh, was because i am a book freak i mean i am obsessed with books i read your book like the day at the ntp conference like that i got oh home God. like I love reading and it's such a huge part of my life. So if you could choose three books that have helped you in your healing journey, in your in your food body journey, or just that have made an impact on your life, or even three authors, um, who would they be or what would the books be? Wow. Okay. Um, I would say my favorite book of all time that was really life-changing for me. And the story even changed as I read it as a child and as an adult was The Giver. Oh my God, yes. 
<laughs> we read it in school, right? Did you read it in yeah. school? Yes. Read it in school. Couldn't put it down. Uh, it's it's carried me. It's been with me my entire life um, as just kind of this place that I don't know. It was about beauty and acceptance and difference and perseverance. And I don't know. So that that was a really big one for me. For those of you who like a short read, it's a short read, but it's very powerful. Uh, so that was definitely one um, that kind of hit the nail on the head for me. Um, gosh, Brene Brown is an author, of course. Uh, any of her books are going to be incredible. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> oh, my goodness. And then uh, this one's going to be kind of funny. But um, I really do like Taoist uh, oh. teachings a lot. And so the Tao of Pooh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like poo, like poop? Like Winnie the Pooh. Oh, like Pooh. Okay. Yeah. And so it's, it's like, it's Taoist, uh, teachings, but oh, in like that. the form, like of, of, with illustrations of Winnie the Pooh. And so it's, I just, I always really like things that are very philosophical in nature yes. because they make you think mm-hmm. and it, it just kind of, it, it, it kind of pushes you to go outside of your comfort zone and go on a journey. I mean, I've, I've read, I could, I could recommend a million books mm-hmm. definitely that have all impacted me in so many different ways and different parts of my life. But I would say that, you know, those, those are probably ones that kind of stick with me and are ones that are always good to go back to, to reference. But, um, for creatives, there's one book that I would say, and for, for people who are, are looking to kind of like make some big changes in their life, is it The War of Art? Oh, my favorite book. It's on That's my nightstand. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that book. I read it while I was writing my book and it just like, it really helped me push through a lot of oh my like- God, the dark, resistance. Like, yeah. Yes, the voice. Yes. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a really good one. He, I love the way he writes too, because he's like, you're going to wake up, you're going to face the dragon and you're going to beat the yeah. dragon. You know, I'm like, yes, yes, I am going to beat the dragon today. I'm going to put it on the page. I love him. You feel so empowered. You do. And you realize that like, it's part of our humanity to have that voice. I feel like it's like a primal instinct to have that voice. And it's like, we don't have to listen to it. That's the thing. Like yeah. it can be there and we don't have to listen. We can rise above. I'm such a huge fan of of <clears throat> Stephen Pressfield, that that author. Yeah, he's um, pretty amazing. He's amazing. And he says it too. I think it took him like 17 years to write a book or something crazy like that. Because it's, it's, yeah, go ahead. What because it say? would because he had to battle his resistance every day and every day he would let the resistance win. Well, that's what people do. And that yeah. carries in every part of our life yes, is that we it live does. with resistance because we live with that voice inside that, you know, tells us we can't do something. But seriously, fuck the voice. I know, right? <laughs> because I know. literally you can do whatever you want. You create your own reality. If life sucks, make it different. Do something different. Write yes. a book. Oh change God. your job. If you need to get a divorce, do it. I don't know. Like, yeah. and, and also like, don't be the reason why I told you to do something. <laughs> you know, like I am the queen of uncomfort, like being in discomfort. Yes. And I love it because I have had some amazing memories. I'm in an incredible place in my life. I love my life. I love my body. You know, I'm so in love with my husband. And it's just one of those things like be uncomfortable so that you can find those beautiful things in your life. It's vital. 
to be uncomfortable. It is like a lot of people say, I don't want to be uncomfortable. It's so hard. And I'm like, yeah, but you just got to fight through. And and if you're uncomfortable, then you can do the work that you want to do in your life. You can live where you want to live. You can have the relationships. I mean, we don't realize that so many of those everyday things that we surround ourselves with do create our life and that we have the power to change it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be stuck. That's a huge message that I hope everybody that listens to this gets, um, you know, really, uh, really absorbs that that truth. Um, but now I have a couple quick fire questions. Yeah. Um, what is the lesson that's been the hardest for you to learn? Oh, man. Well, let me think. The hardest lesson for me to learn or even like the, the greatest, it's, yeah, it's hard. Or the greatest lesson that you've learned. The greatest lesson that I've learned is that our body is an amazing thing. Yeah. And it can, it can do so many beautiful things. That I think is, is where I'm at right now in my life, that our body can heal, it can change, it can, it can really adapt to anything. I mean, bodies are just incredible. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And what's your favorite fruit? My favorite fruit, ah, uh, it's got to be bananas. Oh my God, that's mine too. <laughs> it is. I eat one every day. And if I don't eat it, I'm like, where's my banana? You yeah, know? they're so good. They're so good. Oh so my good. gosh. And what's your favorite veggie? My favorite, oh, that's a really hard one. Um, Right now, of course, because it's winter, I would have to say uh either butternut or kabucha squash because mm. they're I just love the color I love the texture I love the flavor that they bring to other foods those are yeah definitely my favorite right totally. now totally and I even love the sight of gourds something about yes! them I'm like yes like <laughs> I don't know I'm just like obsessed with them too and this is something kind of quirky that I always wonder about people just because I love food so much mm. what if you were on death row what would be the last meal that you would request I love this question because I've had to answer it a few times in my life and I've perfected what my last meal would be. And, but then it changed because with like emotional things, like I, it used to be barbecue because I love barbecue. My husband and I bond over barbecue. It's Mm -hmm. one of the most amazing things on the planet, but quite honestly, it would be my nani's chicken divan. Mm. That is the one meal on the planet that will bring me out up like out of shit creek every single time and it will just like transport me to feeling ultimate love and security. Yeah, because food is so powerful. It I really know. is. That memory is really powerful. Wow. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for for doing this and for being so open and honest. I really think that what you have to say is so important and valuable. And we need more voices like you and and also people strong enough to be able to use their voice in the way that you are. So thank you so much for for coming on. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for just being such a beautiful soul and making me feel comfortable in this world. I just really appreciate you. (laughs) It's my pleasure and so fortunate to meet you and to be connected with you and let people know where they can find you on the internet and maybe where they can get your book. Yes. So you can find Happy Weight on Amazon. Super easy. Just go to amazon.com and in the search bar, you can type in Happy Weight book and it'll come up. 
And on Instagram is usually where I'm the most active, and that's Danielle Della Valley NTP. So that's D A N I E L E D E L L A V A L L E N T P on Instagram. Or you can just go to DanielleDellaValley.com. It's just a landing page right now, but I will be working on it and turning it into a blog in the new year. Oh, amazing. That's yeah, awesome that you'll be writing. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> well, thanks again, Danielle. And you guys can reach out to Danielle if you have any other questions. She's so open and it's just such an amazing resource. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Heart Food Podcast. To find the show notes for this episode, please visit ashleypardo.com. Follow Ashley on Instagram at Ashley K. Pardo. If you like the show, please share it with your family and friends and give us some love by subscribing and giving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes.